Well, if you would, turn with me in your copies of Scripture to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. We'll be starting in verse 23, and we're going to be continuing through our series in the Shorter Catechism. This is sort of a sub-series within uh, the Catechism focused on the Ten Commandments and exploring uh, what uh, Scripture teaches and how our catechisms have, have helped fill that out. If, if you've been wondering why uh, going through a catechism might be useful I would suggest that there are times whenever we're reading Scripture where we maybe don't know what to do with a passage of Scripture. I'd say that happens to me at least once a week, if not more often. What am am I supposed to do with this? And catechisms can be helpful for giving us some guardrails so that we don't go too wild and crazy with our interpretations. It's going to lead us someplace good and helpful. And I think that's particularly helpful with our topic tonight of the Sabbath. And so we're going to be, uh, I'm going to read through uh, the questions related to the fourth commandment, and then our passage tonight in Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. So let's look first at the shorter catechism. And to be clear, I, I fixed these uh, this, this afternoon. Uh, John Sharp does a a tremendous job. If you've ever wondered who does the slides, it's John Sharp. And if if there's ever uh, a big mess up or mistake, it's on the pastors. It's not on him. Uh, I went through and I I adjusted some things. So if there's some typos, don't blame John, blame me. So, Which is the fourth commandment? The fourth commandment is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. What is required in the fourth commandment? The fourth commandment requires, the, uh, requires us to keep holy to God such times as He has appointed in His Word, expressly one whole day in the seven to be a holy Sabbath to Himself. Which day of the seven has God appointed to be the weekly Sabbath? From the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ, God appointed the seventh day of the week to be the weekly Sabbath. And the first day of the week ever since to continue to the end of the world, which is the Christian Sabbath. How is the Sabbath to be sanctified? That is, kept holy, remembered holy. The Sabbath is to be sanctified by a holy resting all that day, even from such worldly employments and recreations that are lawful on other days, and spending the whole time in the public and private exercises of God's worship, except so much as to be taken up in the works of necessity and mercy. What is forbidden in the fourth commandment? The fourth commandment forbids the omission or careless performance of the duties required and profaning the day by idleness or by doing that which is, is in itself sinful or by unnecessary thoughts, words, or works about our worldly enjoyments or recreations. 
That leads us into Mark 2. It says, One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to them, uh, those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So far, God's word. Let's ask his blessing on us now. God, as we approach your word and we reflect on uh, the fourth commandment, Lord, we do pray that you would give us understanding, uh, not just uh, a, a mental clarity uh, to understand, Lord, but with, uh, with the heart of faith, Lord, that we would embrace your word's truth and love it and seek to practice it with our lives, Lord, that we might find our true delight and rest in you. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If I were to poll everyone sitting in this room, and, and likely I think every person in America, and ask you, how would you describe this present age that we live in? The world, the pacing of it all, what, what do you think people would say? I think... I think no matter your proclivity, whether you're young or old, you're rich or poor, you're red or blue, what, you're, you're, you're green or blue, whatever you are, you're likely to answer that this is a restless age. It's a wearisome, tired age. It's constantly going and going and going. The, the news cycles, the being barded with ads and and messages of how we need to work harder, how much more we need to achieve that, that vacation to that one uh, isolated little place. You know, it's, it's here in Michigan somewhere that only a few people know about. And if you, if you find the right place, the right connection, you can have that enjoyment that's available to you. You just have to find it. And when we stop long enough, sometimes it's... Even for just a moment, we, we realize we need rest. I need a break. I'm weary. And so we look to a, a new show or a new channel, some, something that a friend told you about, or, or, or a new activity, a new hobby that will provide you a sense of wholeness and peace that it seems like nothing can offer you. And maybe it does offer temporary relief. But if you're like me, these things don't la offer lasting, real rest. The deep calm and peace that my heart is longing for. This world is full of mirages of rest. And the promise that relief will be there, but it always dries up. And it's into this reality that we should be thinking about the Sabbath. Too often our approach to this question it devolves into uh, uh, what should we be doing? What shouldn't we be doing? It's, it becomes about these, 
these details of what, the, what is required on the Sabbath or prohibited by the Sabbath. And, and that conversation is an important one. It's just not the main question that I want us to focus on tonight. Rather, I want us to consider more principally, what is the Sabbath? What is it meant to do? What is it for? And it's as we consider this question, I, I, I hope that what will become clear is the Sabbath is about real rest as we worship God. Real rest as we worship God. Unlike so many mirages that are in the world, the Sabbath is meant to be an oasis that provides real rest as we gather to worship our God. We, we should see this as we look here at Mark 2, but we're going to focus particularly on his statements there in verses 27 and 28. He has an inter, interaction with some Pharisees, and he, he reminds them of David and what David did during the time of the priest of Abiathar. But then he makes these two statements, these two powerful statements that explain what is the Sabbath? And then we'll consider the question, why don't we experience this rest? So let's look first at his first statement in verse 27. It says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And it's important to remember, as I highlighted, that, that this is spoken to the Pharisees. They are constantly harassing Jesus throughout his ministry. If you read through the Gospels, you see they're, they're constantly troubling him over the things that he does on the Sabbath. He heals people. He casts out demons. He does these incredible works, these, these things that point to who he is and the, what the kingdom is like that he has begun, and they bother him. They're constantly, why are you doing that, Jesus? Why are you doing this on the Sabbath? This is not lawful. This is not right for you to do. In this particular instance is they were plucking heads of grain and eating it on the Sabbath that they might receive some, some nourishment for, for their hunger. And this, this statement, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for, for the Sabbath, doesn't pack the same punch that it should. It, it sounds a bit like man was not made, or, or the rules were made for man, not man for the rules. And yet there's something a lot deeper going on here. Jesus is trying to teach them and teach us what is the Sabbath really about. We see the first Sabbath... At the very beginning of all things, at creation, there after six days of creating, God stopped creating and he rested. Now this, this resting, this is, this is not the rest of idleness. Jesus, or God is not recharging. You know, I had six hard days, now it's time for me to kick up my feet and, and take a break. Or maybe he needed to take a nap. No, that... That again and again is, is denied in Scripture. But this is, this is a, a pause. In the same way, if, if, you've, if you've hiked up a mountain or, or, or gone up a, a path to a scenic view and you stop from your hiking, stop from, from your straining, and you, and you look out 
and you behold the beautiful vista that is there before you. You, you take in all of the colors and all of the, the splendor of the created world. You're stuck in awe. That's, that's a lot closer to what it means when God rested. God had created uh, the, the expanse of his created world, showed his, his infinite beauty and create, creativity, and he stops to behold and say, this is very good. This is the very good thing that I have made. And in doing so, he invites Adam and Eve, the, the last of his creations, to stop and to enjoy. Stop and take in, in awe of all that God has done, that they would enjoy Enjoy what he has made, but, but ultimately to enjoy him, the one who has made it all, the one who's there in the garden with them, that they would, that they would tell God of how wonderful and how, how awesome he truly is to make something like this. It reveals that man was not just made for work, which is something that would have been all too familiar to Israel's neighbors. They, they had these theologies, these belief systems that said that they were the product of, of, of their gods, that they would be slaves, that they would work and work and work and receive no relief. The Sabbath was countercultural for the Israelites. It was something that testified to the fact that, that we had a dignity, that we have a special role in the world and that would witness to the, the surrounding nations. Sounds very much like us as well, right? Work and work and work. Isn't that what the culture says? You don't need to take a day off. Get your hustle on. You can get a, get a couple more bucks. That would be just fine. You know, what's, what's the big deal? The Sabbath at creation was about enjoying hood who God is, and reminding us who we are, that we are made for worshiping and enjoying God, both now and forever. But that, that doesn't exhaust the purpose of, of the Sabbath, even though that's the, the Sabbath at creation. Again, the fourth commandment can help us to explore the, the meaning, but in a surprising way. When you read the fourth commandment in the book of Deuteronomy, what you'll notice is that, that the reason for the Sabbath is different. It's been changed. It's not founded in, in the, the six days and then one day rest that God did at, at the creation. No, it's, it's rooted in the Exodus. We read in Deuteronomy 5.15, it says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Why, Why the change? Why not just repeat it? Did, did God change his mind? Did he say, I, I, this is a better reason. Maybe, maybe you'll listen if I change the purpose. Not at all. We are meant to understand that, that the rest that we find in delighting in God as creator is part and parcel to the rest 
of the way that, that, that we delight in God as our Redeemer. He is the one, He is the Savior who delivers from bondage. And that would have been particularly clear to the Israelites as they had just been delivered out of bondage into, uh, into the, the wilderness that they would worship. This was physical for Israel, but it also pictured the spiritual deliverance that they experienced from the oppression of Egyptian gods to worship the one true God. God had delivered them out of bondage that they might worship Him, that their original purpose at creation had been restored, that they could glorify and enjoy God. The Sabbath then is not just about finding rest and delight in God as our Creator, but as our Savior and our Deliverer as well. And we see this as a major part of why Jesus is, is, is combating the Pharisees about what they're saying. They only understood the regulations of the Sabbath. They, they understood the words, but they did not understand the deeper principle of what was going on. Sinclair Ferguson illustrates this well. He says, the Pharisees were like the committee of a golf club, which had beautiful fairways on which to play. But in order to preserve the fairways from being cut up with divots, they insisted that golfers always play their shots from the rough grass at the side. But golf courses, like Sabbaths, are meant to be enjoyed, not preserved as living museums. Tragically, the Pharisees were turning the day of blessing into a burden. Now, I'm not a golfer, but I, even I can understand that, that the, that the Pharisees were distorting the purpose of the Sabbath. We must be careful that when we think about the Sabbath, we are not simply so focused on all the regulations that we need to begin to create extra laws, special laws to keep us from enjoying the blessing of knowing our Creator and Redeemer. We can also be guilty in this, of the same thing when we do the opposite. What do I mean by that? In not regarding the Sabbath we are participating in the same heart of the Pharisee and thinking that the rest that God could provide for us is not good. It's unnecessary. I don't need that. God, I, I, I know. I know what I should be doing. We're seeing the Sabbath as a burden rather than a blessing when we fail to remember the Sabbath and its importance. Jesus' words here challenge us whether we are prone to strictness or casualness. He reveals our hearts are quick not to believe God would have, a, have something good for us. And so we change his purposes so that, so that we have to be the ones who provide true rest, that we have to cultivate that for ourselves. And so understanding that the Sabbath is a, a day to find real rest in worshiping and enjoying God, that may sound all well and good, but... but but what about now? It, that, that, that was true for them then. This, this is, these are regulations for long ago. And, and I think this is where what Jesus' next statement is even more incredible, even more powerful. He says, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, as Pastor Jeff pointed out this morning, he 
Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. This is his preferred title during his earthly ministry, and it, it tells of something that was going on. There's, when I was in high school, I had a nickname, and it was Guido, which is like an Italian mobster who would hit people, uh, things like that, and it's because on my tennis team, I was the person who pegged people with tennis balls. I, I had received that name in association with how I played, how I acted. Jesus' title here as Son of Man, he's, he's echoing back to something that came back in the Old Testament, a, a reference that helps us to understand who he is and what he's come to do. This is not just some generic title for a person, a son of man. Rather, he's thinking here, as, as Pastor Jeff alluded to, to, to Daniel 7, where Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall never pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." The Son of Man is the one who comes riding into the presence of God Himself, victorious as He ascends on, on, a, on the clouds of heaven. That sounds like Acts 1, doesn't it? He receives glory and power in a kingdom that will not be destroyed. The fact that, and I, this is the first time Jesus refers to Himself in the, the book of Mark this way, the fact that Jesus does not refer to himself as the son of David is interesting. It's interesting to his argument because he alludes to the fact that David went into the temple to eat the, 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 the bread of the presence. And so you would think that, that Jesus would say, David went into there and got the bread and that was okay I'm the son of David, I'm his descendant, I should be allowed to go in there as well. You know, an argument from genealogy. Rather, by appealing to the fact that he is the son of man, he's alluding to his position. What David did in taking the bread of the presence was only okay because of David's position. He was the anointed king. In a much greater way, the Son of Man who is Messiah and ruler over all things, he is far greater than even David himself, such that he can be called Lord of the Sabbath. That the Sabbath belongs to him, included in his dominion and his power that we read of in Daniel 7, is his lordship over the Sabbath itself. Because he was raised and he has even ascended into heaven as the victorious king, he, is, he has received all glory and power. And the, the Sabbath day becomes his day, the, the Lord's day. The creational rest and peace that were lost in the disobedient first Adam is available because of the obedience of the last Adam. 
the freedom from physical bondage in in the Exodus, which was meant to lead God's people to long for for spiritual freedom that, that Christ has accomplished. Christ alone removes every barrier from real rest in the worship of God. He does this in part in our lives, but in full in the new creation where we will, well, we will enter into that rest fully and finally freed from all sin and all weakness, glorified as even he is glorified. Jesus is the one. He is the Lord of the Sabbath because he fulfills the Sabbath of old and brings us into the Sabbath we most desperately long for and need. It's for this reason, as we read in the catechisms earlier, the Sabbath has shifted from the last day to the first. What Christ has done, he has has fulfilled, he he has so filled the Sabbath day that it's been transformed. The Sabbath command and the moral law is perpetual. It doesn't go away. Jesus' work does not do away with any of the Ten Commandments. Rather, he transforms them by fulfilling them. The, the ceremonial parts of the, of the Ten Commandments go away, but, but we are still called to gather and rest. Because the Sabbath, the Sabbath is not about us earning rest. It's not about us earning or working. Rather, the Sabbath is about resting in what Christ has done. It's about resting in his work. That seems a a bit of of cutesy theologizing, like, Dan, you're making a lot of jumps here. I would encourage you to take some time over the next week or month to read through the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Compare what Jesus did on the Sabbath in, in the book of Luke and what the apostles do in the book of Acts. What Jesus did on the Sabbath, the apostles do on the first day of the week. They gather, they heal, such that that whenever we get to the book of Revelation, John speaks about being in the Spirit, when? On the Lord's day. Jesus has so fulfilled the Sabbath that he transforms it so that we, we celebrate We gather to worship and enjoy God on the day when our rest was shown in the resurrection of Christ. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, so we can find real rest as we worship and enjoy God. But that leads us to the question, and especially for those of you who've grown up in the church, it's probably the thing that you're thinking of, at least... At least, it's what I think of. So why don't we experience real rest in the Sabbath? This is what it's supposed to be. If it's supposed to be a taste of the age to come, why don't we experience it that way? I want to propose to you two two potential reasons. The first, the Sabbath is, is a spiritual discipline. Like, like, time in the word and time in prayer it bucks against our sinful nature we still have a sinful nature we're we're still living in weakness we're still walking by faith and not by sight 
And so there is still some struggle. We, we, we prepare, we anticipate, we, as, as we hear the words, we remember, we look forward to the Sabbath. This can be elusive, and, and we struggle, but, but, but sanctifying, setting apart the Sabbath is something that we can grow in. I don't know if anybody's ever told you that, but, but the thought that we would dedicate more and more of our, our heart to the Lord in, in worship and in, in acts of good, um, in, in good works, those works of mercy and necessity, that we would devote ourselves to those things. That's something that you grow in. It takes time. It takes practice. But not a kind of practice that is devoid of the work of the Spirit. As Jesus is ascended into heaven, He gives us His Spirit that we might, that we might find that rest, that we might grow in that rest as we commemorate the, the Sunday as this day of of, of resting in Christ. So that might be a, a reason why we struggle. The, the Sabbath is, is a kind of discipline. But, but we also, I think that the other part is that we look to rest apart from God. Too often our worship becomes a new work because our worship is not about worshiping God and enjoying Him Rather, it's about finding acceptance and appreciation in the eyes of others. We think that, that, that Sunday is about putting on the, our best dress to impress. But instead of it being about our devotion to God, it, it becomes about looking right to other people. Let me tell you, that is a weary thing to enter into. Every Sunday to show up concerned about what other people's, people would think about you rather than seeking to find rest, rather than acknowledging your weariness, that, that your failure to, to clothe yourself just like Adam and Eve of old, that you can never cover yourself perfectly. Nor does, does Jesus call you to. Rather, he invites you to come and find rest and covering in him. Could it be that our Sundays are lacking in rest because our Sundays are about working to impress others rather than delighting in Christ? We become like Pharisees using the day as, as another day to point out how great we are about all of our works rather than pointing to Christ and saying we should find rest in Him. Brothers and sisters, I, I say this not, not to beat you over the head. I say this because I know this in my own heart as well. The desire to impress others, to hide, to work, so very hard to look like we're okay when we're really not. And so we never take the time to actually draw near to Christ and delight in Him and offer worship to Him. And that's where I want to close tonight. Is I want to invite you with the words of Jesus 
words that were true as of old. And as we were reminded earlier, and and I remind you now, Jesus invites all of you, those of you who would recognize that you are weary, to come to him. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Amen. Let's go to him now. Oh, Lord, we do confess to you this evening, Lord, that that we need your rest. Nothing else in this life can satisfy. All else are simply mirages that will dry up eventually. Only you are a wellspring of life that never runs out, that never runs dry. You are infinite in your peace. And in your mercy and your kindness and your goodness, we, we can never exhaust any part of you, Lord. We can never detract from who you are or, or diminish you, Lord, by our coming to you. But you, you delight to abundantly supply our need. And Lord, so we confess we are a restless people living in a restless age. We need your light yoke upon our, on our hearts. Free us from the opinions of others. Free us from the things that we think will find, uh, find rest, but really doesn't. Help us to find more and more of our hearts centered in your work, in who you are, and what you've done. Lord, we thank you for the rest that, that you offer us, and we look forward to the rest that's yet to come. In the new creation, when we will delight in you for for all eternity, Lord, face to face. Lord, help us to have a taste of that even tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.